A year ago, Hurricane Irma barreled into Everglades City. Everything in this remote southwest Florida fishing village that was not on stilts flooded. Now the town is rebuilding in a state where a policy of climate change denial leaves coastal residents on their own to face the risks. 90.7's environmental reporter Amy Green has that story. The water outside was chest high by the time Lisa Martini flung open the trailer door to flee with her husband Lee and their dog killer. It was so loud, you know, and the blowing and the, this, the uh, whistling from the wind and everything. We couldn't even hardly hear each other unless we were really close. Water had begun rising through the floorboards of the trailer the couple shared on a canal of the Barren River. Martini grabbed the pug mix and waded to a neighbor's house on stilts, killer doggy paddling alongside her. Then she returned for her husband, who suffered from heart problems. Together, the couple made it safely next door. They had um, roofs flying all over the place and, and the water rushing in. A refrigerator went down the street. Um, you know, it was it was very scary. Wading through the contaminated water would prove fatal for Lee. He died a few days later of infection in his legs. All of these months after Irma, Lisa Martini still hasn't been able to go back to her home. She spent the year staying with friends and in a FEMA trailer. She's not the only one. In this tiny town of some 450 year-round residents, nearly a quarter are still displaced. It's kind of sad because, you know, there's there's whole families that are gone, you know, that have to live somewhere else. I think there might still be people living in cars, God love them, you know, or they're living in their um in their homes where it's, it's truly not safe. Irma Delta 1-2 punched to the state. The hurricane made a first landfall in the Florida Keys and a second in Marco Island. Everglades City bore the brunt of this second landfall when Irma thrust a devastating storm surge into the remote village. But the storm surge could have happened anywhere, and the community's recovery serves as a window into the future for coastal communities across Florida in a warming world. The hurricane was a Category 5 monster, with winds topping out at 185 miles an hour. The storm was the most powerful ever recorded in the open Atlantic Ocean. Hurricanes are forecast to grow more destructive with climate change, and no state is more exposed than Florida. Some 84 deaths here are attributed to Irma, and related insurance claims are estimated at nearly $10 billion. There are a lot of different ways that if we acknowledge these problems now, that we can actually save people money, hopefully keep people safer. Thomas Rupert is a coastal planning specialist for Florida Sea Grant, a research organization of the University of Florida. Because the longer we continue to pretend that our coastal areas and the hazards they face are not changing, the more we are promoting a future where events will be increasingly catastrophic. Governor Rick Scott's climate change policy of denial has left the state to focus after disasters on how to build rather than where to build. Scott, a Republican, is running this election year to unseat Democratic Senator Bill Nelson. He's doubted whether more extreme weather events and rising tides are threats. He's questioned whether human activity is speeding the Earth's warming and banned words like climate change from state reports and communications. After turning Irma damage in the Florida Keys, the governor said, clearly our environment changes all the time. And whether that's cycles we're going through or whether that's man-made, I wouldn't be able to tell you. In Everglades City, dozens of homes must be put on stilts under a national flood insurance program rule. The rule requires that if more than half of the structure is damaged, all of it must be brought up to current building codes. Tenure down the line, 
I think it's just going to be a much more resilient community. Everybody's going to be up on stilts. Tony Pernis is an Everglades City resident and chairman of a locally appointed committee overseeing the recovery. There's not going to be this panic next time a hurricane comes and we're having to worry about storm surge. The roads will probably be elevated. Mayor Howie Grimm says the community will be better than before. We got a lot of new people that want to open new businesses. We got a, a guy who wants to build a hotel. 40, 50 room hotel in town. The going has been slow. Some homeowners are awaiting grant and insurance money. Others are having trouble arranging for contractors to make the drive to the remote village. Many hope to see faster progress as more urban areas like Marco Island and Naples get back into shape and contractors look for work elsewhere. Tina Collins pushes open the door to her mint-colored home and steps inside. I don't stay in here very long because I don't want to be exposed to the, the mold and stuff. It's dark with no electricity. The floor is dirty. The furniture is broken. Collins eyes a wall paneled in Dade County Pine. The paneling is faded up to her knees, the height of the flood. Everything's ruined from that point down. The cottage on the Barren River in the past sheltered presidents Franklin Roosevelt, Harry Truman, Dwight Eisenhower, and other VIP guests to this frontier outpost of the southwest Florida wilderness. For Collins, it was home with her husband and high school sweetheart Richard and their three children. Eventually, the Collins planned to knock down their cottage where presidents once slept and rebuild on stilts, but they have no idea when they'll receive the money from their insurance company. The family has spent the year living in Everglades National Park, paying rent on a ranger's house, even while keeping up the mortgage on their shell of a home. Like many here, the Collins have considered leaving Everglades City, but this is the only life they know. My husband is related to a lot of people here, and, you know, it just, just keeps people tightly bound. Richard Collins is a fifth generation resident and a stone crabber in a community that bills itself as the stone crab capital of the world. So Tina Collins says the family will stay and rebuild. I'm sure there are a lot of places with, you know, people with character and grit, but, uh, you know, these these families go back generations. Thomas Rupert of Florida Sea Grant says the reality many coastal communities will face is whether they can afford to remain where they are. Already there's evidence the risks of climate change and sea level rise are affecting property values. And that will mean less tax revenue for infrastructure improvements that can address things like more routine flooding. It's possible insurance and mortgage companies will withdraw from coastal areas. We've typically developed our law on our policy on the assumption that the way the world is, was yesterday is kind of more or less the way it's going to be tomorrow. But Rupert says the world is changing. What the science tells us now about both sea level rise and climate change is that the past is not necessarily a very good guide to what's coming down the road in the future. He says acknowledging that reality can help coastal residents understand the risks and either build differently or rethink whether to build on the coast at all. Amy Green, 90.7 News.